You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Our Sojourn. In this series, we'll take stock of who we are as a church and who God is forming us to become in 2022. Now hear the word of the Lord from Acts 17, 10 through 13. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. But when some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and stirred up trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you guys. My name's Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Uh, thanks for being with us. Our mission as a church is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus, build them up as his church, and send them into the world to follow him. And I'm thankful that you've come to be a part of that. Uh, a couple of quick announcements before we get to it. Uh, as we've been talking about for a few weeks now, we're in this process of moving all of, for the last uh, 20 years, Sojourn has shared administrative services like finances and facilities and those kinds of things with a central organization. And we've been moving all of that out locally. And February 1st, that all starts taking effect. So our new finance team, all this kind of stuff is unrolling in the next uh, couple of days, uh, be finalized. And so practically what that means for some of us, if, if you give by check, so if you write a check and mail it in, don't mail it to where you've been mailing it before. Uh, mail it to this address, 2023 Eakin Avenue, New Albany, Indiana. Uh, if you send it to Louisville, it'll disappear into Nowheresville of Kentucky. You know, who knows? And who wants our money to go into Kentucky anyway? Unless you live in Kentucky, we love Kentucky. It's great. There's Christians there too. Um, also, you, you can... Uh, we have these giving envelopes in the back seats. These have all been updated with our new address and all of our new information. So if it's easier for you just to grab it this way, that's all there for you. But don't mail checks to the Meridian building anymore. And if you're like the Meridian building, don't worry. That's just all part of our history. We can tell you about sometime else. So it all is coming here now. Um, another exciting thing that is wrapped up in this decentralization particular, well, we no one knows what to call undoing multi-site structures, but that's what we've been doing. Um, is it's going to cost us a lot less money to operate our church than it has before, this local church here. And with some of the extra funds, we're able to bring on a new staff person. So starting on Tuesday, a man named Sage Williams is joining our staff full-time. Uh, he's not related to me. His My last name is his first name, and we're just trying to confuse everybody. There's Sage. That's his family. Uh, he starts Tuesday, February 1st. And yeah, so what he... <laughs> Let me explain. Um, his job title is going to be Director of Environments. Uh, and one thing that we've come to realize as a church is that this corner of Silver Street and Eakin means a lot more to this community than just an old building here. Uh, when we bought this building on the early 2010, 2011 range, there was about 117, I think is the number of programs running in and through this facility for this community. So when the school here closed, it was really a devastating loss for the community and it, it hurt a lot of folks. And so right now there's a lot that happens in our building. Uh, 
bulb that has to do with the church and that's just here to serve the community. And so Sage's job is going to be to take care of our building and then to make sure that our building reflects our values as a church. So we want it to be beautiful. We want it to be a city on a hill, as it as it were. And we also want it to be safe. And some of you may remember the days of walls crumbling or leaks in the church hall or these, these kinds of things. So Sage is going to be taking care of all of that for us now. And it may not sound exciting to you guys, but I cannot tell you how much this will benefit the rest of the staff and all of you who use the facility throughout the weeks. And I also just real quick want to give a special shout out to Pastor Stephen, Stephen Pierce, where it hasn't been his job for many years. But Stephen, you guys have no idea what this man has done to take care of our building and make it safe for us. So thank you, Stephen, for all that you've carried. Um, and if you see Sage and Megan, if you see them around, they're not here today, I believe. They're getting over COVID, and so that's a great time to start a new job when you're getting over COVID. But if you see them around, welcome them, and we're really excited to bring them on board. Uh, and then last, this is our last week in this Our Sojourn series, kind of about where we're going. Next week, we're starting a series called Desecrated. Uh, if you remember, back in the fall, we went through Genesis, the first two chapters of Genesis, and in a series called Sacred. This idea of who we are as image bearers of God. What are we here for? Um, what's our purpose and mission in the world? And desecrated, we're going to be back in Genesis, and we're going to try to answer the question, what happened? We had this beautiful vision of humanity in the world and God's creation, and so now why is it the way that it is? And so we'll be back in Genesis and learning more about that. So if you look around the world and just wrestle with why are things the way they are? What has happened here? Uh, that's what we will be talking about starting next week. And next week might be a doozy. So uh, come bring your Bibles. You might want to bring a notebook. Uh, next week will be, it'll be fun. I'm excited about it. I don't know how you guys feel about it. We'll see. See you next week, Sunday at 1 p.m. Uh, so I was talking with a friend uh, a while ago who was contemplating a job change. Nobody here. Don't worry. Nobody here. Um, he was tired of the endless reorganizations at his company, uh, always in pursuit of the next figuring it out thing. And uh, maybe some of you have been through that before, the constant reorg, the new direct reports. Are we going to be a matrix organization? Are we going to be, we're not doing any job descriptions, which I don't know if you've ever been there, but when, when the boss is like, no job descriptions, <laughs> that's good for everybody uh, who is the boss. And if you're not the boss, it doesn't work out so well for you. Um, he was exhausted, and he looked at me, and he shared a Peter Drucker quote. Uh, if, you've, if you don't know who Peter Drucker is, he's kind of a leadership management guru. He looked at me exhausted, and he said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. The point is, we tend to think that right plans and answers will get us what we want, um, Drucker's point and my friend's point isn't that strategy is unimportant or that plans are unimportant, but rather strategy and plans don't tend to be as powerful as most of us think that they are, in the United States at least. Um, culture is a shared way of being. Um, it's often unspoken. It's the kind of thing you learn without being taught. Uh, and it's infectious meaning it just spreads without us consciously trying to spread the culture. So without being taught, we absorb culture. We become it, and then unknowingly, we perpetuate it. Um, some of you parents may wonder why your children are the way they are, even though you told them to be different. Uh, you ever heard the phrase, monkey see, monkey do? Children become what they see. They absorb the culture, even when the culture of a family is different than what mom and dad teach them. So Culture eats strategy for breakfast. I'm almost certain you guys have experienced this somewhere in your life. 
Last week, when we were talking about how we want to move forward as a church, we, we laid out some of our strategy for becoming the kind of church we want to be. Um, our strategy to learn the scriptures, to pray, and to experience fellowship together. That was the point last week. The overarching goal is to become like Jesus and play the part that he's designed each one of us to play in his body. That's, that's the goal. And we have the three pillars to achieve it, Bible study, fellowship, and prayer. Uh, we said Sunday belongs to the Lord. We talked about Bible fellowship, which starts February 20th. Um, all of this is strategy. And at least in terms of the pastors and the staff, we think it's a good strategy. We think it's an important strategy. But if our culture as a church is not healthy, if our culture as a church is not aligned with our mission, with our values, then the culture of our church will eat the strategy of our church for breakfast. It won't matter how good our plans or structures are. So we, we want to end this series by talking about the kind of culture that we are cultivating here, uh, the kinds of people that we are becoming. And we're going to look at a famous passage about the Bereans from Acts 17. Uh, we're using three words to define the culture that we're we're becoming. So if you want to think, and they alliterate accidentally. I know we're Baptists. It was an accident. It just happened. But the, the three words, when we think about the kind of culture, the kind of people we're becoming, uh, three words, curiosity, conviction, and community. These will be the words that are shaping our culture as we move forward. So let's start with verse 11 of chapter 17. The people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. Open-minded might be a word that makes us uncomfortable. Uh, what does it mean to be open-minded? Are we saying we'll just be open to everything? Uh, this word originally, what we translate as open-minded, um, in its oldest sense, it meant somebody of noble birth. So whether that's a lord or a lady or a king or a prince, it referred to people who were noble, nobility, and it was a class of people. And over time, the word shifted in its meaning, or it kind of morphed as words do over time, to simply refer to the way people of noble birth act. So there was an expectation that people of noble birth would be open-minded. What, what they thought of that, or what it meant to them, was a willingness to learn. Noble people were expected to be the most rabid. Is rabid a word? I don't know what I'm trying to say. They were expected to be the most eager learners most excited about learning. They were expected to be the most fair of people in the sense of being sober in their judgment. They're seeing both sides of the argument. They're listening carefully. Uh, it, it referred to a generosity of mind. It was a posture of curiosity. This idea of open-mindedness is a willingness to listen, a willingness to be fair, to be sober in our judgment, to be generous. And so, so here, we're working really hard to build a culture of curiosity. As James would say in the New Testament, we're becoming a people who are quick to listen and slow to speak. That's curiosity. I'm going to do more listening than I am speaking. Uh, curiosity loves questions. Curiosity asks questions like, what could I learn from you? Or, or that, that's the posture. Curiosity shows up to somebody else willing to believe I might have something to learn from them. A curiosity is willing to ask ourselves, what am I not seeing here? What am I missing here? Uh, curiosity is willing to believe that we might be wrong. And 
maybe just sit with that. How might our how might our culture more broadly shift if people started showing up in relationships at least open to the possibility that we might be wrong? But have you not seen how polarized we've become where everyone is certain that we are 100% right all of the time? Curiosity is willing to believe that we might wrong, be wrong. And curiosity is excited to learn. Verse 11 continues, they listened eagerly to Paul's message. So these people showed up with a willingness, a, a readiness to learn. And there was goodwill there. Or you might think of it as benefit of the doubt. They, they were curious. They listened with an open mind, not an ear towards criticism. So when we are together, be that here on Sundays, be that in Bible study fellowship, whether that's meeting for coffee or, or whatever, when we show up with one another, we come with curiosity. We're eager to participate with one another. So we, we come to receive and to learn and, and not to critique. And again, this is a posture way more than it is a, a technique or a set of do's and don'ts. I'm not saying that we never evaluate or that we never critique, but there is a stark difference between showing up curious rather than showing up critical. Have you ever noticed what happens to the people who show up looking for problems? What do they find where they show up? Problems. If, if you come someplace saying, I know there's a mess here, I know it in my bones, and you look around, you'll find a mess somewhere, whether it's a big mess or, or a little mess. If you come showing up looking for problems, you always find something to be upset about. And in the church, this fuels an idealistic sense of the church, this idea that there is a perfect church out there that does everything right, and I will find it, and I will be on the hunt to evaluate everything about every one of these people until I find that perfect church. When we don't find that perfect church, which, spoiler alert, <laughs> it ain't there. It won't be here until Jesus comes back. And so when you don't find that perfect church, we become skeptical. Skeptical can be helpful at times. Skeptical, skepticism can be justified. It can be a helpful tool to pull out of our belt sometimes. But skepticism is poison as a way of life. Trust and relationship are impossible when our posture assumes the worst of people. When that is our way of life, assuming you're up to something, assuming that something is wrong, when we approach it that way, it's poisoned to a way of life. Here, we want to become like the Bereans. We, we want to cultivate a culture of curiosity. So we're learning how to ask questions of one another. We're learning how to assume the best of each other. We're learning to be generous and encouraging. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, listen to his instructions for how Christians in the same church should talk to one another. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. That's who we're becoming. A curious, encouraging, open, eager to learn. Now, if all we are is curious, if that's, this is why we're having all these kind of multiple words, life is complicated and requires some nuance. If, if curiosity is all we are, it can be poisonous too. 
if we are open to everything, if we listen to everything in the sense of like, yeah, everything is true, or this idea of your truth and my truth, if it just becomes this kind of free-for-all, whatever you want to believe is okay for you to believe. If we accept everything, we accept nothing. Do you understand? If you say you believe everything, then you actually believe in nothing. So this, this posture of curiosity must be married to a posture of conviction, of standing on something that is true, of, of believing something firmly. Here's what this looked like for the Bereans. Again, verse 11. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. That, that phrase, to see if they were teaching the truth, we could translate that uh, to see if it agreed with the scriptures. They listened with open minds and hearts. They were curious, absolutely. But then they didn't become overly emotional in their response in the sense of, this made me feel good and it sounded nice and now I'm just all in on this. They didn't let their curiosity get the best of them. And this is one of the dangers that we have in kind of our radical autonomous society, our interconnected society, and then our isolate, you know, all these tensions we live in, like of YouTube preachers. Y'all, y'all have seen that somebody posts a 50-second clip on YouTube or a three-minute second clip on YouTube. They sound fantastic. The reason that Christians get famous is they're usually really good at something. You know, you don't usually see celebrities who are bad at things. You become famous and well-known because you're really good at something. And, and so they pique our interest and we get swept up in the curiosity or emotion of it, of someone who's really talented, who's out there and we listen to it and, and we like it. But what did the Bereans do? I, I think clearly there was power in Paul and Silas's preaching. There was truth being communicated. There was excitement around it. I'm, I'm not saying Paul was this like dynamic, charismatic speaker. I don't really know. But there was something intriguing about these messages that were being delivered. They liked them. They were coming every day to listen to it. And then after they listened to it, they would ask, does this agree with the Bible? Does this agree with the Bible? So they were, their curiosity was tempered by their conviction. We like what this person has to say. We enjoyed this. Now I need to go do some work and figure out, does this agree with what the Bible is teaching? So for us, we are a Bible church. We have been a Bible church. We are becoming a Bible church. Truth is one of our core values. We believe that all truth belongs to God. If it's true, it comes from God. And we believe that the most important truths in life are communicated to us, are revealed to us through the Bible, the scriptures. So as a people, we can't accept any teaching about God, about humanity, about our value or our purpose if it does not agree with the scriptures. When we get curious about something someone has said, whether it be a news anchor, whether it be an author, whether it be an old friend or a preacher on the internet, whenever we hear something and we enjoy it or it, it piques our interest, we then must ask, is this in agreement with the scriptures? Is this in agreement with the scriptures? One of the worst things that can happen to us as a church, one of the worst things that can happen to us as a church is if you all start believing what's said behind this pulpit because it was said behind this pulpit. You understand what I mean? 
Just because someone stands up here and says something doesn't make it true and doesn't mean it's in agreement with the scriptures. We work really hard to make sure that it is, but there's an onus on every one of us not to believe something just because somebody said it. We're putting a lot of effort into becoming a people who love and understand the Bible. We must love the scriptures more than we love our own culture and our own tradition. And if you can't think of a time in the last couple of years that the scriptures have corrected your culture or your tradition, then you've probably elevated your culture and your tradition over the scriptures. But we are becoming a people that takes every truth and puts it under the authority of God. Every culture, every tradition, whatever it is. And we believe that God's authority is most clearly communicated to us in the scriptures. So, in every series, every time we preach something, there'll be resources out there in the lobby to help you go further in your study. Starting February 20th, every Sunday, we will be teaching the Bible in a way that helps you learn how to read the Bible. There's, there's much that could be said about what we are doing. The, the point is, our curiosity must learn to dance with our conviction. It must learn to be in relationship with our conviction. We cannot have one without the other. Either of them left by themselves will turn us sideways. And there's, there's a third word we need where I think this might be something that confronts all of our cultures and traditions, and we have to weigh, is this in agreement with the scriptures? Look back at verse 11 again. There's a lot going on in verse 11 here. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. So crowd participation, who searched the scriptures? They. Notice it didn't say he did or she did. It said they did. A large group of people. So look at the picture now. Try to imagine this. A large group of people come to hear this preacher in town, this group, and they're excited about what they're listening to. They're eager. Their interest is piqued. And then this group says, hey, let's go to Applebee's afterwards. Bring your Bibles, and we're going to figure out if what they said is true or not. They were together. They were together. This work of studying the scriptures and seeing if what is being said agrees with the scriptures happened together. We, as soldier, need to become more about we and less about me. Meaning, we need to learn to see the rhythms of the Christian life as happening, not exclusively, but primarily together doesn't mean you can't do things on your own. It doesn't mean you shouldn't read the Bible and pray on your own. Absolutely, those are, are good, healthy things. But we are building a culture here that says this is our sojourn. It's not Jonah's sojourn. It's not Bobby's sojourn or Travis's or Sam's or any one of the pastors. It's not Stephen's sojourn. It's not the deacon's sojourn. This is our sojourn. These were not Lone Ranger Bible interpreters. Please listen. They were not Lone Ranger Bible interpreters. They were not going off by themselves alone to go figure out on their own what was going on. It's dangerous to go alone in the Christian life. It is dangerous to go alone. 
It's dangerous if you only read your Bible alone. Do you know what? Do you know why we call them blind spots? Is anyone like, hey, there's my blind spot, or I have a real blind? Sp-. They call them blind spots because you don't see them. If you only read the Bible alone, you will very doubtfully have your own blind spots exposed. Or to put it in the language of Jesus, you'll have a hard time seeing the log in your own eye. If all we do is read the Bible alone, we will likely find a scripture that magically tends to agree with what we already agree with. We'll find a book that supports our culture and our traditions and our way of life. And boy, aren't we right. You cannot find this kind of community with strangers on the internet. It's dangerous to let someone on Twitter or Facebook or YouTube interpret the Bible for you. I'm not saying everybody on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube doesn't know how to read the Bible, but I'm saying if that's your primary source for Bible interpretation and help is a stranger on the internet who you know nothing about their life, that's dangerous. Our curiosity and our conviction must be directed chiefly towards this community where we are in fellowship with one another, we are in relationship with one another. And I'm telling you, if it's not, curiosity and conviction will just make us crazy. You will go and find something that piques your interest. You will go down these rabbit holes. And I'll just say, I don't want to get too wound up about things unrelated to the sermon. Watching YouTube videos is not research. But if you tend to think that watching YouTube videos is research and you have a Bible question and you go do research for six hours and you find out that everyone at your church disagrees with you, do you understand how that could be a problem? It, it, it might be you that is not seeing the world clearly. So if you do that, you'll latch on. You'll latch on to what you want to hear without even knowing it. So we bring our questions here to each other. We bring our questions here to each other. We will read the Bible and interpret it together in the context of our community. This is what the Bereans were doing curiosity and conviction within their own community. And I'm convinced that our strategy as a church, this Bible study, prayer, and fellowship, this strategy will only work if we embody this kind of culture. Our strategy, um, this culture, will be necessary to become who we want to become and to protect us from becoming who we don't want to become. It'll protect us from one of Satan's favorite schemes that so often shows up as we pull out of community and isolate ourselves. Look at what happens in verse 13. When some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and they stirred up trouble. If if you notice, it's not what Paul was saying that they had issues with. In this whole Acts 17 passage, you don't get a sense that it was the doctrines that were being taught that he had a problem with. If you go back to verse 12, so this is one verse before this, after it talks about what the Bereans were doing. It says, as a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. Those last four words are so important. Greek, these are Gentiles. He's preaching to Gentiles. And did you see it put women first? 
women had such a prominent place in the early church. Some historians say that it was maybe two-thirds, 60 to 70% of the early church was women. So these high-authority Jewish men are saying, oh my gosh, they're preaching to women who are Gentiles and it's working? Paul's content was not the problem for them. Their culture was the problem for them. In our culture, we don't preach to Gentiles and women aren't allowed to do much of anything. And now someone comes with a message that attacks their culture. And they don't come disagreeing with the message. They come angry about what it does to their culture. And you notice it doesn't say that they came down to correct Paul or to protect the word of God. The difference between them and the Bereans is so staggering. It says they came to stir up trouble. It was a culture that was being violated. It was a culture change they didn't like. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. When you become, when we become committed to a culture, but that culture is divorced from curiosity or community or conviction rooted in the scriptures, we'll miss the movement of God. We will miss the movement of God. And we will go and stir up trouble against the movement of God. We'll become quarrelsome. We'll become bitter. We'll become divisive people. And that's what I mean. Does, have you ever met somebody that's like, you know what? Around 65 or 70, I really hope to be bitter, quarrelsome, and divisive. <laughs> that's how I want to end. That's where I want. None of us want to be that way. We want to be, we want to have friends. You know, the quality of our relationships is the number one indicator of lifespan that we have. The, the more satisfying relationships people have, the more we tend to live longer. We want to know and be known. We want to remain tenderhearted. We want to die with our faith intact and our hearts warm towards God. And listen, I have, I have been working for churches for almost two decades now. And I have seen this so many times, the inverse of this, how people become bitter and quarrelsome and divisive. And it's, it's just rarely, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It absolutely happens, but it is rarely a radical departure from doctrine that destroys a church. It's rarely bad information. It, it is sometimes, but it's not what's most often the case. It's most often the case, bad culture. It's, it's people more committed to their agenda than they are to the kingdom of God. And that could mean people more committed to their politics. That could mean people more committed to their economics. That could be people more committed to their own preferences than the kingdom of God. And when that happens, when we elevate things above the kingdom of God in terms of our priorities and our allegiance, the end result is rigid, skeptical, angry people. And when those people come to church, they come to critique and evaluate and they come to stir up trouble. They don't listen. They don't participate. They divide and do damage. They don't ask questions. They make assumptions. And the only way to protect each other from this and to protect ourselves from this is to have a kingdom culture where we say everything comes under the authority of God. We want the kingdom more than we want anything else. And so here we're going to pursue that through curiosity, community, and conviction. This is who we are becoming. And I think this is who the gospel or what the gospel is empowering us to become. 
Have you ever thought about how the gospel of Jesus Christ frees us to be curious? It is an announcement that you are sinful, that you are needy, that our vision is clouded by our sin and our suffering. So the idea of being wrong does not offend the Bible-believing Christian or or the gospel-affirming Christian. When someone says, you might be wrong, you're just like, I've been wrong a lot. I've been wrong a lot about many things. That's the whole point. That's the whole point that Jesus comes. I may not enjoy the experience of being wrong, but I'm certainly open to the possibility of it. I'm not trying to suggest that the gospel makes being wrong unpainful or like a happy, enjoyable experience necessarily, but the gospel can make us people who say the wounds of a friend are like oil on my head. I'm eager and open to listen to it. We are wrong. That's why Jesus came. And now in him, we want the truth. We want to be healed. We want to be whole. Because our sins are forgiven, because we are united with Christ, we can embrace a posture of curiosity. You have any idea how freeing that is? To be found out you're wrong means you get to learn more about God and more about how he's made you. And that will enable you to become more more whole. It, It will further your healing. The gospel itself frees us to be curious into our confusion. Jesus provides the clarity of conviction. We are saved by his life, by his death, by his resurrection. He says he is the way, the truth, the life. He has preserved the scriptures for us. There he provides us with clarity. So our curiosity is armed with the truth of God. And here at this church, we believe God is speaking to us through his scriptures, that he is leading us, that he is teaching us. And so we can come to the scriptures eager to what our Savior says to us. And we can do this together. And Jesus gives us all these gifts as part of a new family, the church. We are not a people who say, I don't need anyone. I just need me and my Bible. That is not what we do here. And that is not what we believe here. I spent the first 10 years of my Christian life saying this. I don't need anybody. I just need me and my Bible. Listen to what Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, says about this. In 1 Peter, he said, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And the point I want you to hear is Jesus didn't save you. He saved us. Or to put it maybe just a little bit more accurately, he didn't only save you. He saved you as a part of saving us. The gospel announces to us that the kingdom of God is at hand. That through Christ, we are one with each other, just as we are one with God. Curiosity, conviction, community, these have all been afforded to us, provided to us through Christ and what he's done. So we are a gospel people. We are Christians. And this is our sojourn. We are becoming a people of curiosity, of community and conviction, because this is what Jesus has invited us to become. And this is what the gospel frees us to become. So that's where we're headed. And this is rooted every week in the reminder of what he has done for us and the promise that his presence is still with us. And so we call ourselves to the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread thanked God for it, and he blessed it. And then he broke it, and he said to his disciples, this is my body given for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. 
In the same way, when the meal was over, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant that's sealed in the shedding of my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.